Welcome to the Food and Beverage Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Sam Mosier. Foodtech is an ever-growing industry, one that brings innovations to how food is prepared, packaged, and delivered. Foodtech companies are at the forefront of many trends in food production, such as sustainability, which makes investing in them such an exciting prospect. Joining us today to talk about investment in Foodtech is Jane Leung, Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer at Scenic Advisement. Scenic Advisement is an investment bank for private companies. Jane, how are you doing today? Uh, it's great, Sam. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure having you on. So let's begin with having you explain to the listeners about what you do at Scenic Advisement. Okay, sure. Yes, I, I'm the Chief Investment Officer for Scenic Advisement. Um, Scenic is an investment bank that was created for private companies and the people who build and who fund them. Um, you know, we, we actually started about five years ago and we were built to serve a new type of market, the private company market, um, which is a market that didn't exist about a decade ago. And so it's, uh, it's been a really interesting time to be here, um, particularly with technology growing as it is and in, in particular food tech, which we'll be talking about today. Exactly. And so before we get into this industry change of investing in private companies, let's talk about your previous work experience. Before working at Scenic Advisement, you were the managing director at BlackRock. Yeah. There, you managed public exchange traded funds. Tell us about your work there and how it compares to what you do now at Scenic Advisement. Yeah, so I was at BlackRock for nearly 14 years, so primarily on the public market side, and I was a senior portfolio manager managing some of the largest mutual funds and index uh, strategic accounts, but then also I spent seven years in Asia um, managing the uh, Asian Pacific uh, iShares business, so the exchange traded fund business there, um, and then relocated back to the United States about four years ago. So um, it's very different in that you know the public markets are, are very well known and very transparent, and you know they're they're you know you're able to trade stocks on an exchange. And transitioning into the private markets uh, was a very interesting but different um, different avenue to take because. You know, you, you see a lot more capital in the private markets these days, but they operate, you know, somewhat differently and in, in more of a, an opaque nature than the public markets. Sure, sure. So now let's talk about these nuances that you mentioned in investing in private companies. What challenges does that bring working at Scenic? And what makes that different from your previous work with public companies? Well, you know, it's 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 just it's it's quite different in that you know what we do at Scenic is we for companies raise primary and secondary capital in the private markets. We provide stock options, financing solutions, and pre-IPO advisory services. And for founders and employees, we provide liquidity and lending for private company holdings. And for investors, we bring new institutional approaches to the private company market. And and you know that can be challenging because as I mentioned before, you know. You know, private markets have historically been very opaque and kind of difficult to understand. Um, you know, not really easy to see what the valuations of a private company are because they're not like a stock on public exchange, which trades you know every every minute or second that the exchange is open and, and on multiple exchanges and global exchanges. Um, and you see, though, that there are so many more private companies that are staying private longer these days that it's incredibly important for investors, um, companies to try to understand you know, valuations and for us as Scenic to bring this type of transparency and robust valuation technique to the market. Sure. And so with this change, like you said, seeing more companies stay private longer, do you have any idea as to why this change has occurred? 
Yeah, well, you know, it, it's really a, a, a number of things. I mean, I, I think that in in uh, in one case, really, the the global financial crisis, the GFC, actually fueled the creation of this new asset class, growth equity. Um, which it, it brought about several changes to the markets and to investor behavior that created the conditions for the birth and growth of the growth equity class. I mean, it's, it's really interesting because I think the GFC actually amplified a number of trends that were underway before 2008 in the private markets, which were starting to, starting to appear, which were really the ever-increasing challenge for investors to outperform the market and the resulting dominance of index investing, which, you know, obviously I, I spent a lot of time um, involved with. Um, there were also, during that time, transformative trends in technology, such as mobile usage, pervasiveness of software in virtually all aspects of consumers' lives and across every business and industry. And, and the GFC only kind of brought these even more to the fore. Um, and these really kind of changed how institutions started looking um, at how to invest. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's really quite interesting to see this, actually. That's fascinating. You hear plenty about how the 2008 the crisis that started in 2008 has affected so many different matters of economics and public trading. Um, but you hear much less about how this change has kind of um, happened thereafter with private investment. And so what you mentioned earlier was that um, part of what you do at your company is providing assistance and obviously investment advice. How do you go about properly educating on private investment? You know that's a that's a really great question, Sam. I mean, we do we do spend a lot of time on education of both the investors, um, around, you know, the institutional investors, um, as well as the companies, as well as the individuals and the founders themselves. Because I think that, as I mentioned, the, the private markets are you know a bit more nuanced than the public. I mean, and and I think that you know it's increasingly important for. Um, you know, advisors like us to spend time with each of the parties to figure out, you know, wh wh where the market price is, how you get best execution in these markets. Um, and it basically takes a lot of time in a nutshell. <laughs> and it's going back and forth, you know, talking with you know, each of the parties, trying to, you know, do a bit of price discovery, understanding the broader market for other similar private companies, which again is not sort of easy to do necessarily because so many companies, particularly in technology space, are hybrids. Um, you know, they're not exactly a food company. They're not exactly a technology company. They might be part software company. They, you know, they, they don't necessarily fit into a mold and that's partly because they're trying to disrupt, you know, the, the old the old ways of doing things. And I think that's part of the interesting part, but it's also part of the challenge because I think that private markets and private deals take a lot longer to complete because of sort of this education process and this negotiation process. Sure. And now speaking of these private companies that you're working with, one of the markets that Scenic works with is food tech, which is also like to get specific for those who don't know, is emerging and innovating technologies in the food and beverage industry. Yeah. So um, could you talk about kind of this relationship that Scenic has with this industry and how it kind of began? Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because I think that particularly living in the Bay Area, um, folks here, myself included, really enjoy uh, eating and, and enjoy talking about <laughs> food. Um, I'm also <laughs> ethnically Chinese and what, part of the Chinese culture is, you know, to, to revolves around food. 
Um, and I was recently sort of in Hong Kong, I'm doing some due diligence on uh, food tech companies. And, and I think it just, it's really kind of evolved from what I think is, is all around us, which is a love for food and then a love for the earth. I, you know, I live in California as well too, so you, you've kind of got this green aspect that goes on to it. And so I think it was kind of a natural uh, segue for us at Scenic to kind of be interested in this area. And I think that you know, some of the technology that's coming about in food tech is, is amazing. Um, it's really, I mean, in, in particular, some of the startups that are out there are really kind of progressing uh, toward very, very um, huge goals of eliminating the need of, for animals as food production. Um, and this is, you know, a kind of a, as, as a bid to kind of save the planet, as it were. Sure. And I think that's fascinating. And so to speak kind of generally about this area of industry investing in food tech, what are what makes that different than investing in other industries? What what are the challenges or what makes that unique? Well, I think that on the one hand, it's and, and this is in some ways somewhat similar to other industries in that, especially in technology, where you're trying to disrupt something that's being done in a very traditional or old way. I think that what makes it different food tech uh, then sort of other technologies, which may be, you know, some of the consumer tech that you see is, is really designed to help make the consumer's life, you know, easier, faster, better, whatever you want to call it. But in terms of food tech, you've got this component of, you know, really trying to do something very ecologically friendly and environmentally important. And so it kind of adds this level, this dimension of a social responsibility to it that I think, you know, doesn't necessarily touch all the other sort of uh, technology uh, industries out there. So tell me about how did Scenic find these companies and how did it kind of come to, come to the decision to make it part of their interest, specifically food tech? Yeah, well, I, I think it's it's important to note, Sam, that you know we we don't necessarily f focus only on food tech. So yeah, sure, so, but, sure. but um, you know because we actually cover quite a lot of um, industry verticals from you know SaaS to you know, to food tech to consumer tech to um, biotech, etc. But I think food tech was a very interesting vertical for us to explore because again you know the the interest in trying to figure out how to design um, I, I think. You know, a product that tastes and looks like meat, but actually isn't, is completely plant-based. I mean, this was just a very interesting, from a sort of just a tinkering, sort of scientific perspective, is like how do you do that? But then, and then how do you know how do you how the, the, the technology around that work? And then, as I said, adding that social aspect to it and that environmental aspect was very, very compelling. I think that it very much aligns with the culture of um, Scenic, which is to you know to do good. Um, and you know, obviously, try not to harm things as well, too. So I, I think that it was very much a perfect fit for us to explore and be interested in this area. Of course, like you said, one of these verticals that Scenic invests in is food tech. And on that note, when looking at the food tech industry, what stands out to you? How do you go about choosing what companies are worth investing in versus others? Yeah, this is a this is a great question, and there are quite a lot out there. And and I should also point out that food tech has also got many different forms. Whether I mean, food tech can also include you know the deliveries of normal food. So for example, like the Uber Eats and the you know the Grubhubs, etc. But the food tech that I'm particularly um, I'm describing today is is around kind of the the plant based. Um, food technology that is kind of turning food into sort of meat substitutes. I think that what's interesting there, and I think what differs 
differentiates some of the out there and what we're seeing is, is really how they're delivered to the customer and the consumer and how, um, I guess, how adoptable is that from by by the consumers? So, for example, um, in, in you know, some, some of the food tech companies that we look at, you know, they're very much delivered through restaurants uh, via chefs and prepared in certain special ways for the consumer to eat kind of in, in a dining environment and in, in an outside dining environment. However, there are also food tech companies that are kind of making their product more accessible almost in like a supermarket format, um, either in an actual market or in certain um, in certain stores that they are brand themselves. So for example, Green Common in Hong Kong is one of them, which I, th I found very interesting on my last trip because they basically had this whole lifestyle brand that created little stores that allowed you to buy both the actual meat product or meat substitute product, but then also uh, you know, other prepared foods that are made with it. So there are a lot of different ways that the home consumer could actually use them. And then, then you have on the other end of the spectrum a very, very popular um, food tech company that you may have heard of, Impossible Foods, mm. that are pretty much you know, everywhere now. And I mean, they've, I, I think they've, they've basically been served you know, at more than 3,000 um, you know, restaurants uh, in, in the US, but also in Hong Kong and now Macau. And, and that was up from really only like 40, 40 restaurants a year ago. So it's really booming. And, and those types of, I mean, Impossible Foods kind of really only distributes at this point through restaurants. So again, very different mechanisms of delivery, but I think those are interesting to look at from an investment point of view because it, uh, it goes to how the consumer consumes the product. Absolutely. So in addition to the Impossible Foods that you mentioned, do you have any other examples you want to mention of these, these exciting and innovative companies working in food tech? Yeah, so I mean, I think um, you know there there are a few. I think some of them are, are smaller and probably you know not 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 at this point worth mentioning. But uh, at the same time, I think you know one, some of the ones that are doing the best are you know the uh, the Memphis Meats, uh, the Impossible Foods, Green Common. I mean, these are all some of the the ones that are are really kind of taking off now, and I think uh, should have a, a wonderful future. Absolutely, and one of the topics we touched on earlier was. Um, this idea of Scenic advising and educating these private companies on proper ways about going about investments. And so how do you tailor that specifically to the companies you work with in food tech? Yeah, so I, I think it's, it's, again, just being there and spending the time to answer the questions. I think that, you know, everybody gets um, the idea of that we all need to eat. But at the same time, I think they don't really understand the technology behind what is changing the food. So for example, I mean, I, I didn't know that it was actually the molecule heme, H-E-M-E, that causes meat to be really, really, you know, craveable and delicious, and that you could extract that same molecule from a plant and then basically make that plant taste really meaty and delicious. Um, and it's kind of like just taking the time to, to explain the science behind it. And I think most people find that interesting because, again, it's not something that you come across in your everyday, um, but it is something that then kind of makes you think about, wow, how, how is this technology going to change the world? How is this going to end up you know, reducing the footprint um, 
you know, that it costs, that it normally would take to create food for people? And how is this going to end up potentially impacting, you know, food supply in the rest of the world? How is this going to help people from starving? I mean, th there are a lot of questions to be answered. And I think what's been interesting in this education process for both investors, um, as well as other interested parties in food tech is to really kind of think about all the possibilities that this, um, this industry can really support in the future. And I think you know, that's where you kind of, it gets exciting because so many questions come out and some of them are answered and some of them are not answered and there's just a lot more to do. And I think that's what gets investors very interested in this area. That's fascinating. I didn't know that fact that you shared about heme being in meat, being what makes us crave yeah. it. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just learned, you know, I re learned that recently myself, and I, I thought that was very cool because, you know, again, I still remember back to, um, it was a, it, I think it was junior, junior high school chemistry class where, you know, our, our teacher was showing us how you could use the different chemical compounds to make different scents. So I remember he, he you know, did all this sort of bubbly, powdery magic and all of a sudden everything smelled like bananas. So <laughs> I just knew that, you know, you can create these things in a laboratory and, you know, it doesn't have to be sort of chemicals and bad. It can be actually extracting natural plant-based foods um, and, and using them to solve the world's hunger issues and problems. So one of the things you mentioned was these companies are not only making exciting efforts and pushing forward in this industry of food tech, but they're representative of really ethically positive and generally good things for our planet, like sustainability by using less of our planet's resources. So do you feel the food industry will continue forging this path? Where do you see it going from here? Yeah, I definitely, I think we're all, we've only just scratched the surface in being able to see how you know, these particular types of food tech companies can change, um, can absolutely change the way we grow food, we develop food. I mean, if, for example, you know, the space that you used to have a, tons of cows is on is now can be used to, you know, to farm other types of food or, you know, plants, et cetera. I mean, what, what, what could that mean in terms of the, the food supply? And I know that, you know, people are really, very, very interested in how and how their food is grown, where it comes from, and you know, other another area of food tech that is very important is really kind of some of those online grocers that you that are starting to see kind of pop up all over the country. But in the Bay Area, for example, we have you know uh, online grocers such as um, Good Eggs that are producing and, and delivering this amazingly, absurdly fresh, fresh produce, which is really interesting. And I think that, you know, again, it all kind of ties together because if you end up not having to spend so much um, um, sort of ground space on, on cows and animals, you could be spending that to figure out how to more effectively farm you know, fresh organic produce and do it in a sustainable way, whether it's dry farming, you know, not using as many uh, water sources and, and supplies to be able to grow things. Um, I know dry farm tomatoes are a very, very big thing now. So there's technology even around how normal plants are grown. And there's also, you know, the idea of vertical farming, which is sort of maximizing the space that you do use. I mean, this is all stuff that is very, very um, new, relatively speaking, but it has uh, the the possibility of having huge impact to to us all. Absolutely. That these changes and in innovations are so exciting, especially just on this general topic of how we can shift the food industry into being being more friendly to the the planet and 
capturing this goal of sustainability better. Yeah, and, and I think what's interesting is that, you know, I think that it, it's it's you can do it in a way that is very, um, I guess, uh, it doesn't have to hurt because I, I feel like you know, no, it doesn't really take much out of us for us to be able to, to continue to invest in these types of things which are have immediate impact on the planet, but then will have longer impact for our children and our grandchildren. Because before this, I feel like there was always this goal of, look, you know, let's let's be good global citizens. But then, you know, there's the view from many that, well, I'm not going to be around, so who cares, right? <laughs> and I won't see the effects. Uh, and it's an unfortunate um, thought, but mm -hmm. I, I mean, I do sometimes, you know, hear it from people. Whereas I feel like that the strides made in food tech so far and what they can do even in our lifetime can be so impactful that it's something that I think we should be investing in more of. Absolutely. So my last question on this note of sustainability and other not, more or less trends, but positive things that food tech plays into like dietary concerns and nutrition. Are these the, these goals that a lot of these food tech companies embody? Are they is that part of what makes them deserving of funding and so exciting to help them grow? Well, yeah, I do think so. I think just as a as a, you know, a human um, social experiment too. I mean, as you said, you know, as we're growing better food, better food for our bodies, food that can help us live longer, you know, and more healthier and uh, healthily and without, you know, the need for drugs and the like. I mean, all of these things are, are wonderful things to be doing for humanity. And I think that indeed this is why this area should have more interest in it. And I hope will you know, over the coming years from investors. I mean, I think there are already a number of funds that are starting to prop up, crop up both um, here and abroad. I believe there's one um, even that just sort of raised some funds in Israel that is focused solely on food tech. And I think that's a very astute observation for these, these uh, funds to be focusing on this area. It's very, very important. That's so exciting. Well, Jane, thank you so much for talking with me. I hope everyone learned as much as I did. Great. Thank you so much, Sam. It was my pleasure, and um, thank you for having me. Of course. We'd love to have you anytime to discuss the other industries that Scenic works with, as well as more innovations in food tech. Yeah, absolutely. We'd be, we'd be happy to. Anytime. Just let us know. And to everyone else, thank you so much for listening to today's Food and Beverage podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Sam Mosier. Thank you for listening.